0: and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's always great when the passage just starts off with, increase our faith. You figure, there's probably got to be a response to something that was just said, so we'll read the something that was just said. It follows immediately after um, our passage from, from last week about the parable of... Um, Lazarus and a rich man. And then he says to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It'd be better for him to, if a millstone were hung around his neck and were cast into the sea, than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostles replied, increase our faith, right? Help our faith to grow if this is sort of the standards that you're you're putting us to. Um, Not just this one about the millstone and the forgiveness, but everything that sort of came before it. Uh, The the parable of the rich man of Lazarus of, of, of making sure to take care, to be, to, um, uh, reach out and love and grace even to those who are nameless, right, to respond with repentance and receive tax collectors and sinners and all these other peoples. Ultimately, this whole thing can be wrapped up in don't think too much of yourself. Don't be so self-righteous. Don't think just because you're following the law that you've got it all right. Just don't be think because you got baptized at St. Matthias and then confirmed by the bishop that everything's going so great for you. Just because you have Sunday school awards that start from here and go down all the way to there <laughs> doesn't mean you're all that in a bag of chips. Right? Be humble. There's a story of, of two, two monks who are sitting and talking to each other, and they said, one to the other, I think I've really finally reached that part of seeing myself as, as nothing, of nothingness. And the other one said, Me too. I think I've finally gotten that to see myself as, as nothing. And there's a janitor who was sweeping and overheard them and he came over and he said, You know, I being with you all, I think I've gotten that place of, of experiencing nothingness too, and he continued sweeping and went on his way, and the other monk said, Who does he think he is to think he's nothing? Right? I mean so there is this this aspect of humility and and being humble that there's this double edged sword too, right? You can get too proud even in your own humility if it's not true. You know, I did a good deed. Didn't anybody watch me? did anybody see that good deed that I just did? Um, but this is the reality that Jesus is, is been talking about for these past several chapters. When you are a disciple, you need to see yourself Totally dependent upon the glory and gifts of God. And that your neighbor is totally dependent on the glory and gifts of God. That you've done nothing to earn God's favor, and they've done nothing to earn God's favor, and yet both of you have it. And even as we we look back at, at Habakkuk today, which we sort of It's funny when you hit the minor prophets, because you have Habakkuk complaining, and then you have God's answer, and then you have Habakkuk, um, which we don't read God's answer. We just get right to Habakkuk saying, I will be on a watchtower after Habakkuk's been complaining about the Babylonians. Basically, what's happening is the Assyrians are losing power, the Babylonians are gaining power. It's political turmoil anywhere. And Habakkuk says, why aren't you doing anything, God? Where are you? God says, I've been doing stuff. Stuff's been happening. Unexpected stuff. Stuff you don't even think. I'm going to bring the Babylonians up just to put the Babylonians down a little bit later. But that's, they're going to be the instrument that's going to to take place. They're puffed up. But those who are righteous, who live by faith, will carry on. And It's one of these passages that gets quoted in the New Testament all the time, plucked out of, of the back the proud, The puffed up will fail, will go down, but the righteous who live by faith, be carried on. But it's often what happens, right? We think that we know what God should be doing. We think when we look around the world that God's doing nothing because it's not going the way we want it to go, the way we think it would be going if God would just ask us for our opinion, right? Right? But Jesus here now starts setting things up higher. It'd be better for the one who causes people to sin. For the ones that you're unwilling to eat with. For the ones that you're stepping over and basically saying you're not worthy of God's love. It'd be better for that one to have a millstone tied around their neck. Those millstones, if you've never seen the picture, are big, giant, hundreds pounds pounds—probably a few hundred pound stones that donkeys like are hitched up to and they walk in a circle to grind the grain, right? And so it would be better to have, you know, this 300 pound weight wrapped around your neck and thrown into the sea. Make sure you're forgiving one another. And this again goes back to relationships. How many times should we forgive? This isn't the same passage. It's one of the reasons we skipped it because we have it in another place. How many times should we forgive? Seven times, Jesus said. How about seven times seven means? Basically, how about you just stop keeping track? This isn't a score. When somebody that you're in relationship with sins against you but then repents and is apologetic, then it's your obligation to forgive. This isn't about about abuse and, you know, being a doormat and all those crazy things like that. This is about being together in the body of Christ. We do stuff to each other. Not always even by purpose, right? The problem with the church, as I've heard, is we're all post-original sin people, right? Right? No pre-original sin people here. No Adam and Eve. They weren't there before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, whatever. This, we're all post-original sin people. We all need forgiveness. We need forgiveness from God, and we need forgiveness from one another. This is what being in relationship is. Being in relationship is ultimately a relationship between a body of sinners and a body of forgivers and those who receive forgiveness. We don't keep track. We just continue to give the same sort of grace that God gives us, which is the point. And so this is when the disciples say, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And Jesus says, I don't need to increase your faith. You just need to have your faith focused. You can have faith the size of a mustard seed, right, which is only about that big. You can move mountains in one passage. This passage says you can take that mulberry tree and say, be uprooted and plant it into the sea. You don't have to have big faith. You have to have faith in the true and living God. And this reminded me, if you read the little, the little email that, that went out, this reminded me of, of the eclipse a couple of years ago where, where we made our own little eclipse glasses. You took cardboard, pinhole, you put a pinhole through cardboard and put it into your sunglasses and you had a nice little eclipse viewer. And you only, I mean, the pinhole is tiny. But when you put that on, or when we put it in front of our camera lens, For instance, you could see still perfectly. So long as it was focused, you couldn't see peripherally, but you could see perfectly that image in front of you. Everything else is is blocked out. This is what Jesus is saying. This is the faith that we need. This is the faith that you can have, the faith that Paul was talking about to Timothy today. He said, your grandmother had this faith. Your mother had this faith. This faith has been given to you. Enkindle it. The gift that's within you. Fan it into flame so it's burning brightly. Because, again, this is the reality of of being um, in the body of Christ as well. If we're not using that faith, if we're not fanning that faith into flame, it just trickles out. If we're puffed up and we get consumed with everything that's around us, being out of whack instead of having true faith in the living God, then our faith burns out. Instead, we're invited to fan it into flame that might rekindle us. And Jesus ends with that passage about the the servant who who just, you know, when he comes in, the master comes in, he doesn't, doesn't thank his servants. This isn't about an ungrateful God or being rude or not saying thank you. It's about the reality that God has given us everything and owes us nothing and yet continues to give us everything. And this is the joy in many ways, this is almost the beginning of, of, of stewardship that, that we've been have been talking about in, in little bits, really this whole summer, of, of the fact that everything we have comes from God. And what God truly desires then is just to respond in grace, and love in receiving your neighbor in seeking out those who are lost and nameless to portraying grace and love to the weak but maybe even more important than that in understanding that just because the way it looks as Habakkuk was complaining about that those are evil seem to keep getting more and more wealth than those who are not evil, eventually, that's all for nothing. As the parable of the rich man and Lazarus taught us last week. But also, this is not how we value God's love. God's blessing. God's blessing doesn't translate, you don't get to trade it in like the dollar for the euro. You don't translate God's blessing into the shekel for the dollar. God's blessing is infinitely more valuable and more importantly, it's distributed even. of anything we've done, as Jesus continues to say, but simply because it's God's gracious desire to fill us with that love and that blessing. And it's God's gracious desire for us to continue to share that grace and blessing. Because in reality, especially when we talk about things like forgiveness. What, what other thing is there, really, that you can do for somebody that would be more God-like than that? I mean, there's service that you can do, there's kindness, there's acts of, of goodwill, but in reality, when you forgive somebody, and you allow that thing that was done to you not to to, to carry over and you respond in love that's God right? that's what God does for us Billy Graham once said I can do something that God can't do I can remember my sins God chooses to forget them when he forgives me I mean this is This is an intense thing that we're invited into, that Jesus is calling us into. And oftentimes, in the church, these things become um, rules that we have to follow. Increase our faith. I've got to forgive Wayne again. You know, I mean, like, Oh, my God, either way. <laughs> right? <sighs> Instead of seeing this as being a disciple, it means God has given you the grace and love and power to forgive and to love, even when something bad has happened to you. That's an intense, intense joy and invitation in reality. Too many times we take things that Jesus begins to say about the kingdom of God and turn them into rules as opposed to seeing them as just characteristics and traits of what a loving community and grace-filled body of believers looks like and the joy that comes from being a part of such communities. Increase our faith. We cry out, not so we don't get stuck with a millstone around our head and thrown into the sea, but increase our faith that we might reflect the joy and blessing of God's love to the world around us, even when we think Babylon is raging and Assyria is falling, the one true and living God continues to work, to live and to love in our midst. Amen.